Hello, hello, hola, and what's up? Welcome or welcome back to the Hope Chase podcast. I am Angie and I am your host. This is episode eight. Woohoo! We are at episode eight, people. So grab your coffee, your tea, your snack, or whatever else, turn your volume up, because for the next half an hour or so, I'm going to be talking about a few different topics today. The question of the day is enabling really a bad thing? This week, I'm going to talk a little bit about a few different things. I'm going to get into what denial and enabling mean to me and my journey, and also what changes do I think are most important? What are the most important changes that I have experienced in the last couple of years in my healing and recovery journey? I'm going to talk about all of it. Enabling is talked about by so many people in the addiction and recovery space. I mean, even if you know nothing about addiction or recovery, you have probably said the word enabled (laughs) in a sentence or two or three or 25. Everybody knows that enabling is a bad thing. Don't ever enable a drug addict. Oh, you were so enabled for so long. Has such a negative connotation to it. I was enabled for so fucking long. But was it a bad thing? I don't know. And one might argue that the only reason that my denial lasted for so long was because I was enabled. I was doing things as if I was quote unquote normal. I was keeping up my appearances. I was trying so hard to pretend and to prove that everything was okay. I was only able to really do that because I was enabled. In my case, I was enabled for so long. And maybe it's because of that, that I was able to keep such a high level of denial going, where I was able to con the people around me and really think to myself, try to prove to myself and everybody around me that everything was fine. My denial was so high that I was able to essentially live two completely different lives. Is it because I was enabled for so long? My father was my biggest enabler, but I would argue that it was not a bad thing. I don't think it was a bad thing. And this is why I think that each individual case is different. You can't use a blanket statement and say enabling is bad. You cannot enable a drug addict. You cannot enable an alcoholic. Because each instance is different, just like each addiction is different, just like each person's recovery is different. In my case, had my father not enabled me, I probably would have lost touch with him like I did with every single other person that I had in my life. I had stopped talking to my mom. The shame was too much for me to to deal with. I did not want to lie to my mother and I knew that she knew I was lying to her. So I figured to fix that would just be to stop talking. I mean, there was, you know, the, the texts back and forth, the happy birthdays. Now remember I stopped being invited to holidays very early on in my addiction. I think I was 26 
when I stopped being invited home for the holidays, I would legit never see my mother. And that was a huge reason as to why I had a, such a hard time grieving her loss. Because we were always so, so close. So fucking close. And because he witnessed that happening between me and my mom, he probably thought, well, shit, the only way that I'm going to keep a relationship with my daughter is to enable her. I mean, obviously, he didn't think that exact thought. But in reality, if he wasn't helping me in any way, I would have probably seen no point in talking to him. I mean, it sounds really fucking harsh. I talk to my dad every single day. And that doesn't mean I got money from him every single day. But when I was in the thick of my addiction and being incredibly fucking selfish, that is one of the things I had to accept about myself along this journey. The only things I saw as worth doing were the things that would directly benefit me in the moment. Now, my father was my fucking rock. He was there for me every time I got arrested. He was at all my court dates. But it was my addiction that actually brought us incredibly fucking close. We became so close throughout those years. And it was because he enabled me. He was the only person that I talked to that wasn't... Actually, he was the only person that I talked to. The only people I talked to was my drug dealer and my father. Nobody else. I didn't speak to anybody else. And yeah, it started as, sure, helping me out with money here and there. But when he figured out I was homeless, and then he started paying for a roof over my head, it just kind of never ended after that. But that paying for the roof over my head soon became sending me cash every couple of days, soon became giving me a credit card, from his account, soon became giving me a debit card that came out of his checking account, soon became paying for fucking BMWs for fuck's sake. I mean, in reality, looking back on it, I really think that the only reason why he went so far as to pay, I mean, I've had four BMWs. <laughs> he paid for all of them. I really think he did it because he was trying to keep me safe in every single way possible. And my dad was a big car guy. Me and my dad, that's one of the things we had in common was we would always talk about cars. I really think that a BMW being such a safe car, he was just doing whatever he could to keep me safe. And I think that's why he enabled me for so long was because he knew that if he wasn't helping me in some way that I wouldn't probably wouldn't even talk to him as sad as that sounds it's the truth and it was because of this that I was able to stay in denial for so long and you know when thinking about this I truly was thinking like was I really in that much denial it's funny because when I'm go when I was going through it, when I was doing these things like hustling and stealing, selling my food stamps, it's like I knew 
what I was doing. <laughs> I knew that I was a heroin addict. I knew that things were going to come crashing down at some point. I knew that I couldn't live like that forever. But it terrified me. It scared the shit out of me to think of actually changing that because I couldn't, I couldn't see it in my mind's eye. I couldn't picture a life without using. So it fucking terrified me. So it's because of that fear that my denial was able to stick around for so long. And honestly, I didn't really even think I was in denial because I knew exactly what I was doing. But now when looking back, of course I was. I went so far and beyond to keep up my appearances, to try to prove to everybody that everything was fine, to try to prove to myself that everything was fine. You know, I dressed in nice clothes. I went tanning. (laughs) Thanks, Dad. I did what I could to make it look from the outside that things were just fucking fine. I was living a double life. I was living a double fucking life. I mean, in reality, I am this bottom-of-the-barrel dope fiend that would do anything to get high. And then on the other side, people who didn't really know me that well saw me as this young chick, right, 25, 30, 35, driving a fucking BMW X5, going to Starbucks, going to health food stores. Shit, looks like I had a good life, right? And when I think back on it, I often wonder if I hadn't been enabled for so long, if my struggle would have lasted as long as it did. It would have lasted just as long because... I was hustling and breaking the law and doing things to get money regardless of whether or not my dad was helping me. And if he had stopped in any way, shape, or form, I would have just kept going. And to be honest, if he didn't, I probably wouldn't even be sitting here right now. I definitely would have died. I would be dead because I just didn't care. And I would have done absolutely anything to make sure that I could continue to get high. And I proved that to myself. I mean, that was the life that I knew. I hadn't lived a quote-unquote normal life. I hadn't done any normal shit in my life from age 22 on. So for essentially 20 years, hustling and using and that dope fiend drug addict lifestyle was all that I fucking knew. It's all that I knew. It wasn't even a year into me using heroin when I became homeless. So literally 20 fucking years of my life, that is all I knew. So when we talk about, when we hear about enabling and how it's so bad to enable a drug addict, this is why I say it's an individual case-by-case basis. Because me, for example, that's the only thing I knew how to do. It's the only way I knew how to live. If the help stopped... And if I had to just keep going on my own, I would have. It wouldn't have scared me to completely lose the help I was getting from my dad because I would have just kept doing what I had to do to keep living the only way I knew how to live. So if you're talking about enabling somebody who's, let's say, been a drug addict for a couple years, hasn't really faced any consequences, yeah, maybe enabling that person is a little bit worse well, not that it's, you know, right or wrong or worse in any, in any case, but I'm saying there's different 
case-by-case basis situations that need to be taken into account. When I look back on my own life, the last I remember actually quote unquote having my shit together, I was 22, I was in grad school, I was working, I was full-time in school, part-time working, my dad was helping me pay the rent. So my job was essentially spending money for myself and my dad was pretty much paying my rent. And then I graduated, six months later became a heroin addict. I had gotten money as a graduation gift. So I was essentially just living off that. And then once I ran out of money is when I started breaking the law and hustling for extra money. And then when I ended up homeless is when my dad started helping me out again and paying for the roof over my head. So I never actually lived a life where I was 100% supporting myself. Never. I mean, I was doing all the things. I was paying the bills and paying the rent and doing adult things, but it wasn't 100% with my money. I never actually knew how to support myself. I never really did the things of, let's say, like grocery shopping or really taking care of a, of a home because I was moving like every year, once a year. So I never actually like planted my feet anywhere ever in my entire life. I mean, if you knew me all the way up until when I was 41, all the way up until just a couple years ago, I always had an empty fridge. I mean, literally always empty. I'd have maybe a half a bottle of water, half-eaten Snickers, because I would eat Snickers for breakfast every morning. I mean, if you knew me, you knew that was a thing. And maybe an old leftovers box with like half-eaten leftovers in it. That's what my refrigerator looked like. I didn't have anything like no utensils, no plates or dishes, nothing that would say I fucking even lived there. (laughs) And that was the case for 20 years. The whole time I was addicted, I never took care of myself in that way. Always had an empty fridge, random shit here and there. I lived off candy (laughs) for the entire time occasionally getting like a cinnamon roll from Starbucks. And then later on in the day for dinner, I'd go to like Walgreens and get a few bags of gummy bears, eat one or two bags at night when I got home from copping dope, and then do the same thing all over again the next day. Occasionally go to the health food store and get, now this is funny, a piece of watermelon or some pomegranate seeds some cheese and crackers and a fucking salad. I, oh my God, this is so hilarious when I remember it because I was living off gummy bears, but the first chance I got, if I had extra money, I would go, here I am getting a salad and fucking pomegranate seeds and living off gummy bears. I mean, that's just perfect. And every now and then, when I could, which was very rare, if I had extra cash on me, that, you know, I could spend it rather than saving it to go towards dope. It would be a special occasion if I could indulge myself and buy some quote unquote warm food, something hot to eat, like a hamburger or pizza 
And it was only when I had the extra 20 bucks or so, which was like never. It was such a treat. It was like, ooh, I can get warm food. And that was still the case even all the way up until I got my shit together a couple years ago. I never took care of myself. I wasn't showering on a regular basis or really ever for all those years. Maybe every now and then when I had to, I'd wash my hair in the tub every few days to keep, you know, my appearances up. I never cleaned ever, 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 ever cleaned. I didn't even own like cleaning products. Everything was filthy and laundry. Oh my God. Forget about it. Laundry. I would have machines like downstairs in the basement or whatever and whatever apartment I was in, in Boston, you know, you'd have to pay 25 cents or whatever to do a load. Did I ever do it? Absolutely not. And I mean like never. I mean like maybe once every six months. I had so many clothes though. And if I ran out of something or if something was too dirty, I'd just buy another one. That's literally how I lived. (laughs) That was the only way I knew how to fucking live. I never actually made a home for myself my entire fucking life. Never actually really lived. Never mind on my own. Never actually, quote unquote, was put into a real world ever. So of course it was terrifying. Of course it was scary. Of course I didn't want to do it. (laughs) And I had been essentially getting away with everything my entire life. I mean, of course I was getting arrested. I was going to jail. Of course I was facing consequences. But in my brain, as long as I was able to continue getting high, I was winning. (laughs) I was fucking winning. I was conning everybody around me. I could still get high. I was giving people clean piss. I could still get high. Essentially, I was getting away with everything. And today, all of those things, all of those things I just talked about have all changed. Each one of those things, I no longer live like that today. And the hardest change I think I have had to embrace is the taking care of myself. I never realized how difficult it was to take care of myself. I never realized how little I actually thought of myself. And really, it was Indy, my perfect puppy child, India, that helped me so much in that area because I realized what shit, like all the shit, I would do for her before I would do for myself. Things I would do for her and not do for myself made me realize, like, okay, this is interesting. Like, why why wouldn't I do that for myself? Like, getting her food, for example. I was still living, like, I was still living that old lifestyle all the way up until the summer of 2021, even a few months after that. Even when I had India, I would say... January of 2022 is when I really started the real changes of the things that I just talked about. 
because when I first had India, I was getting her food. I was doing things for her and not doing it for myself. And that's what made me realize like, oh, okay, maybe that needs to be looked into. (laughs) Most people do these things on a regular basis, on a daily basis, and don't even think twice about it. It doesn't even cross their minds. It's just like an automatic thing to take care of yourself, (laughs) to shower, to do laundry, to clean up. I mean, it kind of comes with living, right? For most people. But to me, it was literally the hardest fucking thing. And today, today, I am a completely different person. Today, I do laundry multiple times a week. I mean, before washing sheets, I mean, I never did my fucking clothes, never mind my sheets. If I, if it was a year into using the same sheets, I wouldn't wash them. I would just buy new ones. Not exaggerating. Now I wash my sheets like twice a week. I do my clothes probably the same twice a week. So I'm doing laundry like three or four times a week. I cook now. My refrigerator is fucking full. Sometimes I can't even fit everything that I have in my fucking refrigerator. And you know what? I'm going to fucking post a picture. (laughs) I'm going to post a picture. People who knew me will see this and go, holy shit, I guess you have changed. Because there's like no room. There's no room in my fucking refrigerator for extra shit. I have like food that you need to cook. (laughs) Like chicken. There's raw chicken in there because I cook all the time, mostly for India. I take a couple bites and then I feed the rest to her. But I love to cook. I love to cook. Who knew I love to cook so much? I come up with recipes on my own. Recipes, they don't need to be followed. I make my own recipes. (laughs) There's fruit. There's food. There's coffee. I make my own coffee every day. I actually have things like plastic bags, like like garbage bags. I mean, these are big. This is big stuff, you guys. (laughs) I mean, if I was buying anything... Back in the day, it would be, you know, snacks. I never in my brain ever thought to buy plastic bags for garbage, like garbage bags. I would just use whatever bags I had. Now I constantly have them. I try not to run out of them. I have shampoo. I mean, I used to use dish soap for shampoo sometimes. I have toothpaste. I have conditioner I have I never run out of toilet paper I have spices spices I mean salt and pepper maybe I have here and there but shit like paprika and oregano are you kidding me (laughs) I have cinnamon I put cinnamon in my coffee all the time I have green tea I fucking drink green tea you know not the, the tea bag tea but the loose tea I mean, this shit, this is the shit that means the most. I have created a fucking home for myself. This is the shit that means the most. And fun fact, I didn't even step one foot into a grocery store here on the island where I live until quarantine. I did all of my quote unquote food shopping and grocery shopping at the corner store you know, for a bag of candy or a bag of chips, because that's all I was getting. 
I came here in October 2018, and quarantine was 2020. It took me two fucking years to even step foot into a grocery store. I love going food shopping now. (laughs) I fucking love it. You have no idea how exciting it is for me when I see something and I can actually get it for myself, like in the food store. I used to hate going into grocery stores specifically for this reason, because it was always a reminder of all the shit that I couldn't get. I would always see shit that I wanted and just couldn't get. I mean, I was getting food stamps, remember, but I was selling them for cash. I'd go into food stores before only to use the Western Union, literally. And I love, I mean, I grew up on health stores, like on health food. My mom had celiac disease. And this was before even health food stores were a thing. Like this was before Whole Foods, before Trader Joe's even existed. There weren't many health food stores around at all. It was almost impossible for her to find food that she could eat. So we would find all of these random stores and we'd spend a day. We'd go to health food stores. We'd buy all these things. So I grew up on that food. So I fucking love health food. I love all the vegan shit, even though I'm not vegan, but I love all the granola, homemade, fucking crunchy shit. (laughs) Earthy, crunchy shit. I love it. But I couldn't afford it. I could never fucking afford it. I mean, I can't really afford it all now. (laughs) But sometimes, and it's a great feeling to be able to actually be able to buy what I want rather than having to get whatever's cheapest. I used to, even like during quarantine, have to go into the food store and steal food. I would get what I could buy. A lot of times I'd have just change. That's the only money I had, maybe 35 pesos. So I'd go into the store and super a key here, the closest or the local grocery store. And I would do the math and I would get, you know, saltines or tuna, the cheapest, absolute cheapest, do the math, make sure I could pay for that. And then I would steal extra stuff. And that's how I lived over quarantine, really. There was a good amount of time over quarantine where the most I could afford was like a bag of animal crackers, which is like 20 pesos, if that, which is a dollar, a dollar. I'd have like a dollar to my name every single day to eat. And then I'd steal extra stuff like cheese and crackers put those in my bag. And that's how I lived. And today I can't even steal. I can't steal anything today because it's not how I'm trying to live, even though I do think about it sometimes, but I can't even like pretend (laughs) that it was a mistake. Like I can't see something in my bag and then like try to ignore it and be like, Oh, I'll just walk out and say, Oh, I forgot that was in my bag. I can't even do that anymore. I can't, I can't even see this is coming from someone who used to steal. (laughs) I used to steal everything. And I can't do it anymore because it's not how I'm trying to live. It doesn't align with the person I am today. And when it comes to money, I mean, I don't have any. (laughs) After my dad died, I 
had to do all the paperwork myself. I didn't have any support. I didn't have one fucking person helping me. I opened a GoFundMe to help me with the process to maybe try to get a lawyer with the probate and everything like that. I think the GoFundMe got $50. I know it didn't get any more than that. And that was sad. But luckily, I did all the paperwork that I needed to do, anything I was counted as a beneficiary of. Now, my brother said there wasn't a will, which I can't say was the truth or not because I can't prove it one way or the other. He completely fucked me. The estate was worth, I found out, $150,000, and I got none of it. But I am so grateful for the fact that my dad actually left me half of his retirement for after he died. So I get $500 a month. $500 a month I am forced to live off of. And I am so fucking grateful for that. I could sit here and I could complain all day long. I could choose to complain about how I'm broke. I could choose to complain about how I didn't get any of that $150,000. I could choose to sit here and be angry about how that all went down. I could sit in regret. I could choose to feel a whole lot of things. But today I'm choosing to feel grateful because if it wasn't for my dad, once again, saving the day, thanks to him, I can live on my own. And it's fucking difficult, don't get me wrong. I could find a job around here waiting tables or bartending for, you know, a couple hundred pesos a day. When you work here, you only make 200 pesos a day, which is $10. I've applied to jobs online, and then I forgot I had a criminal record. So that's why I'm doing this as well. Hopefully this will become successful to the point where I can make a living doing it at some point, hopefully sooner than later, but the timing is not up to me. And again, I could choose to sit in regret and negativity. I could choose to sit here and throw a pity party for myself. Oh, poor me, poor me. I barely have enough money to survive. I can't find a job. Wah, wah, wah. Why me? Why does life always hand me this shit? Why can't something good happen? I am so unlucky. What the fuck? I could do that. I could do that every day. I did that. <laughs> I did that for a long fucking time and it got me nowhere. But instead, I'm choosing to put my energy into other things that I actually want to do, like this podcast and getting my story out and getting my message out because it's important. And I just know, I know it's going to be successful. I can feel it in my bones. I know that this is what I'm supposed to be doing and how and in, in the details of me doing it is going to come as I go, which is why I'm doing a few different things <laughs> at one time. But again, I just trust that it's going to work out. Whereas before I would just expect the worst to happen all the time. And today it's just so completely different. So these are some of the changes that I have experienced over the last couple of years in this healing and recovery journey of mine. It didn't even happen until about a year after I put the dope down. People don't realize, not everybody realizes that there's a little bit more to it than just stopping the substance. Stopping using the substance is there's a little bit more to it than that. 
I mean, sure, you can stop using and some things will get better. You'll probably get a job. You probably earn some money. You start taking care of yourself. But if nothing else changes, that money is probably going to go right out the window. That job that you have is probably going to be a little bit difficult to keep. The changes in lifestyle are the most important changes to us addicts and alcoholics. These are the most important changes that I've experienced. Because in changing these things, it has so greatly affected my mental well-being, creating a home, taking care of myself, having clean sheets. They are so important to maintaining a healthy fucking mindset and a healthy mental well-being. You have no idea. No idea until you actually experience it. They are the hardest things to change about yourself. Don't get me wrong. These are the hardest things to actually change, but they are by far the most worth it. And I want to end today's episode by asking you this question. Is it so hard to believe that someone can change their life around? Is it so hard to believe that a person has changed their life so much that they're a completely different person? Is that really hard to believe? Because I get the feeling when I talk to some people that they are surprised that I'm actually living the way I say I'm living. <laughs> like, like they don't expect me to really have changed as much as I say that I've changed. And there's no secret what's going on over here. I dedicate my time and my energy to share my story and share my message. People watch my stories. People follow along on social media. So I'm, I'm really wondering, is it so hard to believe that a person has changed, completely fucking changed? And with that, that's it. <laughs> that's all I have to say on this topic for today. A little bit of denial, a little bit of enabling, a little bit of change. <laughs> As I sip my coffee, it is about 10.45 in the morning. Another thing too, I'm such a morning person. I'm such a fucking morning. Only by myself though. <laughs> this would be a random thought. I love the mornings, but not... <laughs> Not really with other people. Like, if you try to talk to me in the morning, I'm not, I won't be having it. I like mornings to myself. The mornings is me time. To myself, drink my coffee, journal, meditate. The mornings are for me. So that hasn't changed. <laughs> that hasn't changed. I've never been the nicest person in the morning. So, you know, I mean, some things don't change, I guess. <laughs> So thank you so much for tuning in and joining the Hope Chase with me today. Don't forget to rate and review from whatever platform you are listening from. Please leave a review or rate this podcast so that you can help me get noticed by the bigger platforms out there. And follow along on social media at the Hope Chase Pod on TikTok and Instagram. And also, like I said in the last episode, I'm working on my new YouTube channel. The name is The Hope Chase on YouTube. And if anybody wants to get in touch with me, message me on social media, any questions or comments or whatever, 
feel free to get in touch with me. And with that, this is the Hope Chase podcast. I'm Angie, and welcome to The Shit Show. See you next time.